Well, all God's people said. <laughs> I tell you what, they said it better than that. All God's people said. Thank you. <laughs> Some of you acting like you need another cup of coffee this morning. All right. Wow, what a great group. Isn't this awesome? Yeah. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and in verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 29. And this is Moses, of course, speaking to the children of Israel. And uh, in verse 29, he simply says this to them uh, in, in from the Lord. And it says, if only they had such a heart in them to fear me. Now, this is God speaking through Moses. If only they had such a heart in them to fear me and keep all my commandments always so that it would go well with them and with their sons, meaning their children, forever. Obviously, in those words of that one verse, uh, the Lord is speaking in terms of family. And I want to share a few words with you this morning about family. And I want to begin, oddly enough, talking about an unusual funeral. And by that, what I mean is that uh, some years ago, uh, there was an unusual funeral that took place. Uh, the body of the man that was uh, in the casket for this service uh, was not really special in terms of the fact that he wrote some incredible book or that he was a war hero or anything. But his, his casket was covered with the flag of the United States of America. And present for this funeral was the president of the United States and his cabinet, members of both the House of Representatives and the Senate, and dignitaries from around the world were there for this service. Now the question is, who was this man, the body of this man that was in the casket? Well, he, again, was not a war hero uh, but he did serve uh, in a federal way in Taipei, and, and I mean Tripoli, and he died there. And so they brought his body back to the United States of America, and, and upon arriving, he received all the honors you could possibly dream of in terms of, of just honoring this guy. So the question is, what who was he and what did he do? Well, his name was John Howard Payne. I don't know if that rings a bell for you or not, but what he did was write one sentence, just one sentence, and here's what he wrote. Simply this, mid pleasures and palaces, though oft I may roam, but ever so humble, there is no place like home. That's what he did. He wrote those words, but in that time and in that season, uh, it spoke to the hearts of people around the world. And as a result, when he came back, his body was brought back, they had this incredible funeral service for him simply because 
of those incredible words which we've heard from then and many, many times in many other situations, there is no place like home. Well, I want to talk to you about home or really about family and the future of the family. In the 11 o'clock worship hour today, we are going to have six families who are going to consecrate themselves as parents and then specifically their children to the Lord. And I was thinking about the word that I wanted to share with them. And as God began to speak to my heart, obviously I realized I needed to share this with everybody. And so for this service, I want to talk about uh, two things. First of all, the spiritual war that is against the family. The spiritual war that is against the family. And when I'm talking about the family, I'm talking about God's designed nuclear family. Back in 1995, the summer of 1995, there was a conference in Beijing, China. This was the World Conference of Women. And as they were having this conference, their main topic was simply this. It was the deconstruction of gender. The deconstruction of gender. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? Now, this is 27 years ago. Think about this. 27 years ago, at a World Conference of Women in Beijing, China, their number one topic was the deconstruction of gender. So I'm just going to quote directly from them so you'll understand what they mean by the deconstruction of gender. Here's what they said. Quote, the goal is to give members of the human family Five genders from which to choose instead of two. They go on to say, quote, no longer do we say male and female. Now we have five opportunities when free, listen to this, from traditional bias. Now what they mean by that, the, the divine, the God-designed nuclear family. That's what they're talking about. He says when freed from traditional bias, a person can decide to be male, female, homosexual, lesbian, or transgendered. And then they close with this. Some may want to try all five in time. Now, folks, that was 27 years ago. So you see the seeds of the destruction of the family, the nuclear family designed by God, those seeds were planted at least, and really prior to that, because something had to be sown to get to that point. But 27 years ago, those seeds were sown for the destruction of the family. And so here's what I want you to understand, brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a direct, secular, satanic-driven, hellish rebellion against the Lord our God. That's exactly what it is. Because, listen, the nuclear family came from the very heart of God. And it came from the very heart of God, and it was designed. Listen to me. It's designed to meet the deepest physical, social, psychological, and spiritual needs of mankind. It was created by him for that purpose. 
and it's there to demonstrate the incredible love of God among ourselves. Just like Christ loved the bride, the church, and the family of God, that we are to love one another accordingly as designed by God. Do I have a witness on that? And so there's this incredible, listen, this incredible spiritual war. And we're seeing the fruits of it now. You say, where did all this come from? Well, it's been coming for a long time. And it's not just in America, but it's around the world. And it is nothing but a direct assault on the Lord our God and the truth that he has given to us. Well, as we look in the scripture, it's obvious that as we look at this, God in verse 29, he's talking about the family here. And he's talking about keeping his commandments. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So that beware with them and with their children forever. Now I want you to consider a couple of things with me as we look at this. This being the heart of God, the God designed nuclear family. Let me say what it's designed to do for our children. First of all, it's designed to teach them the realities of life. What do you mean by that? So for them to discover who they are, listen to me, who they are, why they're here, and what incredible value they are to the creator, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And not only that, to develop a, a, a spirit of security, to develop a spirit of self-confidence, and to be able to develop the right definition of love coming directly from God through the parents directly into their lives. It's so incredibly important that they understand these true realities of life. And when you get outside of that, think about it, you get outside of that, there are all kinds of things out there, like the young man who, who just felt like this by the attitudes and actions of his parents, that he was unwanted. So by the time he was 19, he was wanted in seven different states. You see, that's the result. When you move outside of God's design nuclear family, then all kind of things go in all kind of directions. And we're looking and we're listening and saying, what? Where'd this come from? Well, I don't know where it started at least 27 years ago is what we're dealing with now. So you see, the nuclear family is designed, first of all, to be able to reveal to our children the realities of life. But think about this, also the restrictions of life. You see, in the nuclear family, as designed by God, there are rules, Right? There are rules, there's principles, there's precepts, there, there are things we're teaching our children what is right and what is wrong. And, and so with those rules, there's discipline. And that's so incredibly important because listen, children need to learn they're not a law unto themselves. So what does that mean? They can't just do what they want to do when they want to do it, right? And so when we think about this nuclear family from the heart of God to be able to teach our children the realities of life and the restrictions of life, but then also the reverence of life. And what do you mean by reverence? I mean learning to respect authority. 
Respect authority in home. Listen, if there is no respect of authority in the home, they're not going to have respect of authority in our culture, and they're definitely not going to have respect of, a, of the authority of God. And we see that in this women's conference 27 years ago where they basically just spit in God's face and said, we don't want what you have. We're going to do what we want to do. That's what it is. And let me tell you something. When you lose respect of authority in the home and in the culture and towards God. You don't have a future for the family. You don't have a future for the country. And so there is this spiritual war being waged against the family. So that second part is very important, the spiritual walk of the family. How do we respond to this? What do we need to be doing as Christian parents, not just parents, grandparents, there's some here, your great-grandparents. What does scripture teach us? How should we walk as a family? Well, that gets us into chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 4 through 9. And this is called, this is called the Shema or the Shema, however you want to pronounce it. To the Jew, the most sacred passage in all of their scripture. To us as believers, great instruction. Great spiritual instruction as parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. Related to how can we raise up our children who have a knowledge of the realities of life as we define it, the, the uh, uh, restrictions of life and the reverence of life. Here's what it says. I'm going to read it and go back and share a few thoughts with you. Verse 4. Hear Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall repeat them diligently to your sons, meaning your children, and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. You shall also tie them as a sign to your hand, and they shall be frontless on your forehead, you shall also write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now listen to me. When you read, first of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29, he says here, he says, if you will keep all my commandments. Well, what commandments is he talking about? Well, if you go back and read verses 1 through 28 of chapter 5, you know he's talking about the Ten Commandments. Uh, Moses just rehearses and reemphasizes the Ten Commandments given to us in Exodus, but now here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and so he's talking about the Ten Commandments. Now for us today, uh, in, 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 under the new covenant of grace, that still involves just, not just the Ten Commandments, everything God has commanded us to do. Do I have a witness on that? I mean, they're just the foundation. Everything else is built off of that. So I want to say this, and I think it's important. God did not give the Ten Commandments to government. 
Now, if they were wise, they would lead on the basis of the Ten Commandments. Do I have a witness on that? He did not give the Ten Commandments to industry. But again, if you're any form of industry, if you'll follow the Ten Commandments and all that you do and all of your business and you honor the Lord by keeping His commandments, God will bless you. And he didn't give Ten Commandments to education. Oh, I know. And they, if they were wise, if they were smart enough to realize that it opens the door for the incredible work of God, blessing of God, they would follow the Ten Commandments. But he gave the Ten Commandments to the family. That's who he gave it to. To the family. And so I asked one time and in a conversation I was having with someone about education and there's a lot of discussion about all that this day and time obviously and, and uh, they were actually complaining about the fact that they couldn't put on the wall the Ten Commandments. So I asked them, do you have it in your home? They said, well, no. I said, can you name me the Ten Commandments? A few of them. I said, what are you complaining about? I said, now, I get your point. I actually stand with you to a certain degree on exactly what your point is. But my friend, listen, it's in the home. That's where God gave the Ten Commandments was to the family so that it would be well with them and then with their children forever. If you keep my commandments. So then he gives this word to the parents. Grandparents, great-grandparents. Notice three things very quickly here. First of all, how are we to instill the Ten Commandments into our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren? First of all, by example, right? Here's what he says, verse 4. Hear Israel, the Lord is our God, and the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Listen to me. It's got to begin in your heart. It's got to be set in my heart as a parent, as a grandparent, and maybe one day if God tarries and I have the opportunity, a great-grandparent, but it's got to start in my heart. I've got to have a love and a devotion for the Lord in my heart if I want to transfer that into the heart and soul and life of my children. If it doesn't start there in me, it's definitely not going to, unless God intervenes through somebody else, it's not going to be a reality in their heart and in their life. Say what you want to. With your lips, say what you want to. Lay out the truth with your lips. The only thing they will believe is what you say with your life. So it starts by example. Folks, this got to begin with real love and devotion in our heart that they can see 
lived out in our lives to be able to instill the realities of life, the restrictions of life, and the reverence of life. Not only by example, but secondly, by explanation. Here's what it says, verses 6 and 7. These words which I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall repeat them diligently to your sons and speak to them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, parents and even grandparents, we are the disciples of our children and our grandchildren. We are. I am. When my kids were going, and I'm still trying to disciple them and try to disciple our wonderful seven grandchildren. Why? Because that's my divine responsibility to them when we're sitting down, when we're walking by the way, when we're lying down, when we're getting up every opportunity of life every day, I'm looking for opportunities to instill in them the truth of the word of God. You say, well, what about the church? I'll talk about that in a moment. Here's what I want you to understand. When you stand before the Lord and you give an account at the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment uh, for unbelievers, but as a believer. And you start giving account of your response. Listen, he entrusted children into your care. Whether it's by natural birth, whether it's by adoption, doesn't matter. Just in some way, he's put somebody into your life for you to disciple, a child. And you look at him and say, well, you know, our church didn't have all the different children's ministries that we wanted them to have. Or they didn't have as many activities as we wanted them to have. And maybe, maybe they didn't have the staff. Or maybe they, they well, the staff were just kind of so-so. They really didn't. He's going to say, I called you to be the disciple. You are the disciples of your children. And you can't blame it on the church or on the staff of the church, on whether we have the ministries and the programs that you think we ought to have. Now, we got more than you can shake a stick at here. Do I have a witness on that? All right. But no. You need to understand as parents, you are the discipler of your children. You need to be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord so you can teach them every day looking for every opportunity to reinforce the truth of the word of God. And so we, we, we do this by example. We do this by ex explanation. And then lastly, we do this by empowering. This is where the church comes in. Listen to what it says as it is worded here in Deuteronomy prior to church, but you get the point here. He says in verses 8 and 9, you shall also tie them as a sign to your hand and they shall be frontlets on your forehead. You shall also write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, you empower what you're teaching with every opportunity you have to put it out in front of them. And that's where you come alongside with us or we come along inside, aside with you as parents, the body of Christ. 
That's why we have so many different ministries. That's why we have staff to oversee those ministries, both with children and with youth and with young couples and things of that nature, is we want to come alongside. We're not replacing you. We're here to empower what you're teaching by magnifying it right here on the truth of the word of God. And this is so incredibly important. So this morning, it's very important that I emphasize, don't forget. Listen, the spiritual war is against our children. Now listen to me. What I just shared with you, it needs to be priority. Priority. And you must be persistent. Why? Just to remind you, I keep putting those on, and I got a Bible with bigger print, and I don't need it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, just to remind you, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That someone is your child, your children, your grandchildren your marriage, your family, even the body of Christ. And so, as a church, listen to me. I close with this. We need to be selfless. If you don't recognize what is happening, if all you can see is your, your world, and how it impacts your little world. I know that's important. My world's important to me. But if that's all you can see and live by, then we're not going to have family. We don't have a future for the family, and we don't have a future for this country. We got to be selfless, whatever it takes to come alongside, listen, body of Christ, brothers, listen, come alongside these families. Support them. Encourage them. Not only be selfless, but sacrificial, whatever we need to do. And we need to be steadfast, unmovable, and standing and developing God-designed nuclear families. It's the only thing we've got and it's in the name of the Lord against this battle that rages against our homes. And so, Father God, I just want to take a moment right now just to commit this word to our hearts. Lord, there's so much we could unfold here and probably need to unfold. Lord, just for today and for these moments, Lord, help us clearly, concisely understand how important it is for us to be victorious in your mighty name against the war, against you and the family you've given to us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, before we dismiss... I need to recognize